In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to this special City Hall edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. I'm here with AJC City Hall gurus, J.D. Capilouto and Will Nobles, who have been shadowing the two runoff candidates for the last weeks as this election nears its final thrilling conclusion on November 30th. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Of course. Hello. Yes. So last week, both Felicia Moore and Andre Dickens sat down with J.D. and Will to answer the most important questions heading into this runoff. Coming up, we'll play what they had to say and break down their positions. But first, we have a brand new leader in this race. I'm an executive, an engineer from Georgia Tech, and I know how to run things. We want to make sure this city's run well, but run well for everyone. Please vote for me, Andre Dickens. In our new AJC WSB-TV poll, Andre Dickens has past Felicia Moore to grab a very narrow six-point lead. I have the experience, which is very important, both internal to City Hall and external to City Hall, and the knowledge base to get things done. I have a heart for this city. So, J.D., Andre Dickens was trailing in the polls in the first round. He was in single digits in all the AJC polls. Now he looks like he's the frontrunner. Um, how have his fortunes changed, and is he, is he acting like a frontrunner right now? Yeah, he really feels like he has the momentum and there's definitely, you know, some evidence to support that. He likes to bring up on the campaign trail that he defied the odds before. He often brings up those polls that you mentioned that had him in the single digits just a few months ago. And now he's kind of seen the surge and, and he really did it by obviously getting getting so much attention when he knocked former Mayor Kasim Reed out of the runoff spot, took that number two slot behind Felicia Moore and has really tried to keep up that momentum over this kind of crunched campaign runoff period that we have uh, ahead of election day on November 2nd, uh, really trying to pull in former uh, Kasim Reed voters, former Sharon Gay voters. He's rolled out a number of high profile endorsements and is really hoping to just crisscross the city and and get turnout. That's really what he's focused on now. Crunched is a good way to put it because we are right over the Thanksgiving holiday and they'll be campaigning, maybe taking a break for some turkey and then back to the campaign trail. But Will, you've been following Felicia Moore nonstop. I mean, is she acting like the underdog? Is she acting like she has to come from behind to win this thing? No, not at all, Greg. I mean, when you look at it at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, Madam President has been in office since 1998. So, uh, you can make the argument that she is an institution in Atlanta politics, right? And so, you know, I spent the uh, day and a little bit of the evening following her on her campaign trail. And, you know, she had like families walking up to her at Parks and Kirkwood, taking selfies with her, you know, folks uh, grabbing uh, lemonade with her during the day. So uh, Council President Moore is a popular person, right? She, I mean, she wouldn't be if she wouldn't have 
you know, she made it to the runoff. But uh, of course, as our poll has showed, I mean, she does have a favorability, but it looks like uh, there are a few more people who like Dickens more than more. So we'll yeah, we saw happens. we saw a definite geographic split in the first round of the election um, with the voters on the north side of Atlanta supporting Felicia Moore, voters on the south side of Atlanta supporting Andre Dickens more. It might not be as clear as that in the second round. We'll see um, how that goes in the runoff. But but I mean, J.D., we still also see one fifth of Atlanta voters are still undecided. So there's still a lot of ground for both candidates to try to make up. That's right. I mean, it's it's not 40%, which is about, you know, that, that mm-hmm. magic number that we heard repeated a lot throughout the general election yeah. with so many people undecided until the last minute. But but yeah, still 20% right before the runoff. It, it does show kind of a little bit how, you know, similar these candidates are in a lot of their policies and a lot of their ideology. And it also, I think, speaks to some of the, the anti-Reed sentiment. I'm wondering if some of the uh, anti-Reed voters who, uh, you know, just wanted him out of the runoff, if now they're kind of waiting until the last minute to decide if they're going to go for uh, Andre Dickens or Felicia Moore or whether they're going to vote at all. Because obviously this is going to be right after Thanksgiving. We'll see how much, you know, attention people, you know, keep on, on this race. Yeah, well, that's a great point because the turnout was low in the first round. Um, it might be abysmally low in the second round. We'll see. But a lot of those late-breaking voters who did, who who were undecided, who decided to vote the last minute, they ended up siding with Andre Dickens. That helps explain how he went from five, six, seven points to to uh, nearly one quarter of the Atlanta electorate, and and that'll be a big issue as you guys talk to undecided voters to see what is ends up getting them to the polls. And you know, the I think both candidates recognize that as well. Um, I heard more on Saturday telling her uh, supporters, a few elected officials from DeKalb County, you know, she she doesn't even think that the uh, voter turnout in the runoff is going to be as high as the uh, general race. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, right? Um, early voting is still happening right now. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting, whatever the turnout is. Okay, this next part's fun because and our, our producer, Jay Black, is ex- especially excited about this because it's such great audio, but both Woo-hoo! candidates... We're in our newsroom last week to talk with J.D. and Will and our editors about the most important issues facing Atlanta. We asked them the same questions to easily be able to compare and contrast where what they said and where they stand on the issues. First, of course, is the issue of crime, which, guys, our poll, again, showed crime is the overwhelmingly most important factor to Atlanta voters. Um, we asked the candidates, how does your crime plan differ from your opponent's plan? Yeah, the first part about my safety plan that's different than my opponent is I published mine first. I had researched it and vetted it with uh, former police chiefs across the nation. And I believe my plan was then utilized by others to see a pathway to have a balanced approach to safety and justice because that's what mine does. Mine is a smart on crime plan. Uh, Because we're about 400 officers short, my plan has specifically 250 officers in the first year to get to 400 by the second year. Uh, What's also different about my plan is it incorporates technology. Uh, We need to have more street lights on the streets to illuminate the areas where high crime actually exists. And then also using more uh, cameras and license plate readers to be able to deter crime and also catch criminals after a crime has occurred. Uh, Shot spotter to hear uh, crime uh, shots uh, of, of guns to be able to identify where they're coming from. Well, our plans are not similar in terms of how we get people on the street. I'm very specific about the fact that I want to get 
officers who are doing administrative duties out from behind their desk, at least eight hour of their 40 hour work week, and to help our patrol officers by them taking the lower level calls like an accident on the road or a noise complaint. And so that frees up our patrol officers to have more time to respond to those issues. And I also wanna incentivize officers who have recently left our force. They're ready, they're trained, and they can help us out. They can help us by coming on, on contract for a year or two, allowing them to keep their retirement pay and also paying them to be officers. So I'm very specific about how I would grow our force immediately and within the first 100 days. I would like my goal to be getting the equivalent of 200 officers on the street. So they both have robust plans to tackle uh, Atlanta's crime rate, um, but you know there, there are some uh, pretty significant differences. Um, do you think voters, uh, one is more attractive to voters than the other, J.D.? Not necessarily. I mean, at this point, a lot of the differences are very specific. I mean, Dickens is men- Dickens mentioned a lot of the technology. I think that could be appealing to some people, um, you know, but in other parts of town, you know, residents just want to see more and more cops out on the street. So they could be more attracted to President Moore's plan regarding, you know, getting those officers out immediately as soon as possible, getting them out from behind the desk. But when looking at it broadly, I think most voters, you know, they, they want a leader who cares a lot about, you know, reducing crime, but also addressing the root causes of crime, which are very important parts of both of these plans. Um, so I think for for the average voter, I would say they seem pretty similar. Um, although for, for folks who are really want to get specific and care about, you know, some of the specific points there, I think there can definitely be, you know, important differences to be carved out. Okay, well, let's listen to the next question, which is how can you find an interim police chief within the first 100 days? The interim police chief will actually be found between the time that I'm elected, which will be December 1st, and before I'm sworn into the office. And so I will be taking recommendations from police organizations, uh, uh, police officers, and I will be reviewing, interviewing, and vetting those candidates. So then on January 1st, I'll be able to announce the interim chief while at the same time working to do the national search so we can come up with a permanent chief. I'm not married to whether or not they're internal or external. I just want the best leader of the department that can keep us safe, but also set the tone that the citizens should feel safe in their interactions with our police officers. Yeah, as you know, I've uh, stated that we're going to put the chief on a 100-day contract uh, versus just an immediate firing and uh, search. And so I'm going to be data-driven, using merit and metrics to be able to determine his fate and the fate of the city in terms of how well we're bringing down one, violent crime. Uh, the crime stats have to move in a, in a downward direction. Two, uh, the recruitment of new officers to APD. That could be recruiting of lateral movements, getting officers from other jurisdictions, as well as uh, recruiting officers to go through our cadet school. Three is retention of the existing Uh, force to make sure that more officers stay. And then four, the implementation of our community-based policing strategy to get officers out and about, walking the beat, and living in the city. So, Will, without a doubt, the the hiring of a new police chief is one of the biggest decisions the new incoming mayor will have come early next year. And both of them have very fairly well-tailored plans to do so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And at the, the bottom line of this is that 
Um, the next mayor has to get more officers, right? They need to hire more officers. And they have to make sure they have a police chief working with them uh, who can collaborate with the, not only just leaders in the city, right, but at a regional level, because uh, we've heard time and time again in this uh, election that criminals don't follow borders, right? They don't care uh, if you're in uh, Decatur or if you're in Kirkwood. So uh, um, it's going to be interesting. You know, I think uh, that whoever becomes the police chief, uh, if it's Chief Rodney Bryan, if he stays great, if it's someone else new, uh, they're going to need to really get embedded with these communities and especially communities that have been targeted um, in terms of, you know, having a lot of uh, incidents of gun violence and what have you. What are the concerns among residents and what, what kind of uh, feelings and narratives are there in these communities about the police? I mean, the, the next the next leaders of the city, their, their work's cut out for them, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of work cut out for them, our next question is, why are you the best candidate to stop the Buckhead Incorporation movement? I believe that Buckhead has made it clear that they want to be safe and they want to get the best uh, amount of uh, constituent services as possible, the standard delivery of our operations across the city. And therefore, my Safe Streets plan is a plan that can be implemented on day one and provide the safety that Buckhead and all of Atlanta truly deserves and wants. The other thing is I'm very present a hands-on individual and a hands-on mayor I will be, one that is very accessible and also responsive. I will be proactive in attendance at meetings and also providing my ideas to our chief as well as our major sensor that is up in zone two. Uh, Buckhead wants to get the value out of their taxes by having the standard uh, delivery of services like garbage pickup, like potholes being filled and the various other things that happens in the city. I'm an operator as an engineer. Uh, I wanna make sure the city's run well, but run well for everyone. Well, I'm the best person to stop the movement for several reasons. One, I was the one who was the face of saving our airport over there testifying, developing relationships. So I know how do you do it and you know how it gets it done, to get it done. The second is, you know, I represented a part of Buckhead uh, for all of the term of, as council, 20 years, and I've developed many relationships there. That's why my numbers show up well in that area. And so I believe that I would be one that they would listen to as I can, and they would also respect the fact that I'm going to get things done at City Hall. And when I do those things, I can convince them if it gets to a vote not to stay. But I believe I'm also very well uh, known uh, statewide, being active and engaged at the Georgia Municipal Association. I'm a member of the Atlanta Regional Commission, and we're going to take all of our partners to help us in this fight. Look, Will, I mean, this is the biggest challenge, I think at least, uh, and maybe it's because I'm at the state capitol too much, but it's the biggest challenge that uh, either of these candidates will face right out right off the bat, which is convincing state lawmakers not to pass um, legislation that would allow for a referendum to, to de-annex the city of Buckhead, to allow the, the city of Buckhead to, 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 to be created. And uh, it, it's going to take a monumental selling job on behalf of either Felicia Moore or Andre Dickens to convince Republicans to hold off on this. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, one of the words you said just now, which is um, Republicans, right? Because I think, and look, I'm not from Atlanta. I live in Decatur right now. But just from what I understand, interacting with people, um, leadership, residents, uh, there has been this uh, energy 
in this region for for a long time for Republicans to try and uh, weaken Democratic leadership in the city and to uh, gain higher clout. I mean, we're also seeing that happen in Gwinnett, not to pivot too far, but, you know, uh, there is an effort right now to expand the number of elected leaders uh, representing uh, Gwinnett County. And um, that, you know, I mean, it's that effort has occurred in the past, but it's kind of noticeable that it's happening again um, now that it's uh, a majority uh, Democrat um, uh, uh, group of leaders in, in Gwinnett. So uh, point being, yeah, it's going to be hard for whoever's mayor to convince folks to stay in the city. Um, but, you know, succession uh, movements happen. Uh, I mean, they're, they're not unusual. Like they have, I mean, they are unusual, but they, they tend to happen every now and then. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens next year and, and you know, going into uh, this uh, legislative session for sure. And JD, we've seen, you know, Republican candidates for Senate. We've seen Republican candidates for governor. We've seen Republican candidates for, for all manner of offices that have nothing to do with the city of Atlanta, uh, play a really uh, prominent role in this already. Totally. Yeah. I'm really curious whether this will just kind of continue to be this partisan issue that we've seen it transform into as it goes into next year. Like, will the Republicans just try and ram this through the state house regardless? Or I'm curious whether, you know, it could come down to actual numbers. Like if the next mayor can turn things around when it comes to crime or city services, like that, that, Maybe that's being a little, you know, naive thinking that it could stop it, but maybe it could turn some people around or even if it does pass, could make it uh, less likely to to uh, actually pass when it's on the ballot. So I think action's going to be more important here than talk. And I think that the the candidates understand that. And as much as they say they, you know, will listen to Buckhead and will show up at meetings, I think until you see, you know, numbers start to go down and, you know, city services improve a little bit like like they're speaking of there and throughout the city um i think that it'll be uh something that that lingers for the next mayor throughout next year most likely at least through the spring i definitely agree and before we tackle the next few topics let's take a quick break hip-hop is a product of black people it's a product of black song and celebration the atlanta journal constitution presents hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Welcome back. And don't forget to follow JD and Will to get their exclusive Race for City Hall newsletter, which you can only get on AJC.com. And click on our Atlanta Mayor Race special section on the topics bar to get the most complete coverage of this runoff. Let's get to the next topic, which is an important one, corruption. We asked each of the mayoral candidates, Andre Dickens and Felicia Moore, what will they do to make sure their administration is free of corruption? So first, I have served with integrity and have fought corruption since I've been elected. 
And so you will not have that for me and you will have a tone very clearly set from the top that it won't be tolerated. Understand that there are still people who've been in City Hall for many years. And so it's still going to take time to make sure that we have people who share my same vision. And when I find that they do not, I will get rid of them very quickly. But I'm very proud as president to have authored the legislation for an inspector general and a compliance officer in the city. So we can hold people accountable who may violate the law, who can investigate and make sure things get done. And I'm also very proud that I authored legislation for independent procurement review officers. Independent of the mayor and the council, someone who follows our procurement process and makes sure there's no problems. And that has already stopped procurements and saved us money. Well, some of the things I've already put in place are now going to stay. Uh, when we had issues in the past where people were abusing credit cards, I created the credit card policy for the city that reduced the number of people that have credit cards and reduced the things that the credit card would allow you to pay for, like dry cleaning and, and travel that's not approved and buying guns and some other things that uh, we put in there that you cannot buy with the city credit card. That reduces corruption. What I'm also going to do is get additional ethics training for all of the cabinet and all of the chiefs and everyone that has any access to uh, making procurement decisions or contracts. What we also are gonna do is do background checks on all of the new hires that I'll have that's coming in uh, for uh, my cabinet, et cetera. I'll make sure that we have people that are filled with integrity. And last but not least, I'll operate as the leader of the city with integrity. So guys, it's clear that the ghosts of Kasim Reed's administration are present in the the two candidates' uh, agendas for their mayoral stint. Um, and, you know, it was, J.D., what was really interesting to me was um, I had the chance to co-moderate a debate a few days ago where we asked the both candidates if they'd even accept Mayor Reed's endorsement, and both of them gave in very clear clear ways uh, essentially a no answer, a pretty, mm -hmm. a pretty strong no answer when it, when it all came down to it. Yeah, pretty sure Dickens says something like, you know, I respect him and uh, I definitely respect his voters and definitely want, want their votes, uh, but uh, kind of joking there. But um, yeah, I think with this, we really saw this isn't the first time they've gotten this question and it's something that has been brought up a lot and that they've added to a lot of their stump speeches. Like that's how important of an issue this is. It's not ranked number one for a lot of people, you know, when we ask them what, what the most pressing issue is, but certainly is something that, that voters care a lot about. And if you just look at the results of the uh, you know, November 2nd election, clearly the voters, you know, want something new. They want something fresh and they, they didn't select Kasim Reed to, to move on to the runoff. So uh, we've seen them put a lot, a lot of energy behind uh, the, the transparency message. And well, a part of this too has been the question about what they would do with uh, Mayor Bottoms' administration, you know, how quickly they would clean house if they would retain some of her, her key cabinet members or if they'd bring in their own uh, a fresh, uh, you know, fresh aides to, to staff their, their administrations. A hundred percent. I wasn't surprised to hear President Moore mention how she wants to do a sweep at City Hall and what have you. But I did find it interesting that Councilman Dickens, who, as we know, has um, uh, Mayor Bottoms' support, for, uh, you know, her to be her successor. You know, he, he says, I know who I want to keep and I know who I don't want to keep, right? So yeah, there's going to be a city hall sweep. It's going to happen, whoever becomes the 61st mayor. And I think if you're an employee at city hall right now, you're probably anxious. <laughs> I mean, turnover isn't yeah. strange when a new leader comes in, but, you know, just with 
having to uh, pick people. And I'm not talking about like, you know, necessarily like low level folks and low level isn't like the street sweeper or something, but I think certain like uh, project managers, um, clearly the cabinet, right. Mm-hmm. Um, communications team. I mean, all there, this is going to be like probably a new, a new crew, uh, whoever be- gets in office. And, and part of that is because they don't, um, they're worried that there are still people at city hall, right. Who have that influence of this, uh, of the Reed era. And again, going back to corruption, we're going to see a few of these trials from folks uh, who were in Reed's administration or related to Reed's administration in some way. Those trials are probably going to start happening next year. Yeah, we're going to see an overhaul uh, no matter what happens. And we mentioned how corruption wasn't you know, one of the top issues in, in all of our polls, but of course, it's one of those kind of always in the background uh, concerns for voters. Well, mm-hmm. the number two issue in all our po- polls were, uh, was affordable housing. And one of the questions we asked the candidates was Mayor Bottoms launched an Mayor Bottoms launched an ambitious program to create more affordable housing units when she was elected. In addition to tax breaks, we asked, what needs to be done to create more affordable housing units? There are 800 acres of land that's vacant, that's owned by the Atlanta Housing Authority, that we should be building on rapidly with for-profit and non-profit developers. We can also build around our MARTA stations where there's large parking lots that we can go vertical. We can actually build parking decks and then have mixed use and mixed income housing up in those um, developments. And therefore we can get 20,000 units of mixed income housing over the next eight years. Also, the preservation of affordable units. There's a lot of units that are already out there that are kind of affordable because they're either older. And now what is happening is landlords and developers are flipping those properties by putting in stainless steel, granite, uh, new hardwood floors and paint. And what ends up happening is they double the rent. But what I want to do is incentivize those landlords to be able to preserve some of those units as affordable housing for the current residents. So there's a lot that has not been done. I will say that many of the organizations that provide affordable housing have participated, have given great ideas, and many of those are reflected in the One Atlanta plan. Right now, we need to get to the point of implementing those things that are in the plan. What I want to do in our my first 100 days is just do a re- Quest for Proposal, or for short, RFQ, and ask who out there can help us provide and build affordable units, particularly as it looks at the city-owned property we have. If you control the dirt, you can control what happens on that dirt. And once we get all of those requests for proposals, we can also then start to look at what properties we're ready to start on immediately. And then, of course, the Housing Authority, I will be certainly moving to get them motivated to get the affordable housing built. And then look at our vast properties in the Land Bank Authority. J.D., this is part of a greater battle against gentrification that's unfolding in Atlanta, whether it be on the Beltline, whether it be in you know midtown high-rises, or whether it be in underdeveloped parts of northwest Atlanta. Yeah, I'm really, you know, one similarity we saw in that housing plan there was they both really want to build on city-owned land. I'm curious to see when, whenever the next mayor takes office, how quickly they go about that, well, you know, what hurdles they run into and kind of, you know, will that actually become a, a reality anytime soon? And that's both controlled by, that's controlled by Atlanta Housing. Um, and that's another area where I think we might see some leadership turnover. Both have suggested they, you know, might get rid of the current leadership at the Atlanta Housing, currently, or formerly known as the Atlanta Housing Authority, um, to kind of speed things up there. I think uh, one thing that, that Andre Dickens often says is, 
you know, we have the right ideas. The problem is actually implementing them and getting them done. And so I think that's one of the areas where he might try and speed things up and make, make sure they get more things done. Okay, well, let's listen to the answers for another question near and dear to Atlanta voters, the question about traffic. How does Atlanta become less car dependent? Yeah, right now, Atlanta has a lot of uh, traffic and individuals that uh, are, are getting around the city, one person in one vehicle. We have to uh, reduce our car dependency. And part of that is, of course, our rapid transit system, MARTA. We have to make sure that buses and rail are really uh, working well for the current rider, and that will attract additional riders. Um, I also believe that one thing we have to do is increase our bicycle lanes and our sidewalks. There's so many more ways that we could get around this city if we, we had <clears throat> stable uh, facilities to do so. And when I call them facilities, bicycle lanes are a facility, as well as uh, sidewalks are facilitating wheelchairs and pedestrians and joggers. What we must do is do that because it provides equity and it also provides, um, it helps us fight climate change. Well, that is a great question. And I understood when I moved to Atlanta now 35 plus years ago, that Atlanta was a car-centered city. If you really want to get somewhere and you want to get there quickly and conveniently, you had to have a car. There was a time when I was working downtown and I knew parking was very expensive and a top commodity. And so I used MARTA. I would drive to the station, get on the train, go to work. If I had a meeting outside work, I'd get back on the train, get my car and go where I need to go. That's the key. There are two people that use MARTA, those who have to, and those are the backbone of our, our MARTA system. They need to go to the doctor, visit their family, and those who choose to. And that is where we've got to work on, making sure that people use it as a choice. And to do that, we've got to make it more convenient. We've got to connect people directly to our MARTA system, smaller buses that can go up in neighborhoods and bring people conveniently to a station. Those are things, our Beltline Rail going north, south, east, and west around our city will be an attraction for people to use MARTA, maybe some for the first time. You know, well, uh, there is an opportunity for whoever wins this election to spend a lot of money on Atlanta's transportation network because of the $1.2 trillion infrastructure program that just passed uh, bipartisan in Congress. And, you know, there'll, there'll be billions of dollars flowing into local coffers in, in not just Atlanta, but around the around the around the state, in in order to do projects that could be transformational. Man, we're talking about nearly nine billion dollars to repair roads, uh, two hundred and twenty-five million, right, for bridges. We need that, man. These potholes are ridiculous. <laughs> I'm tired of driving through the city with these big old steel plates. You got to slow down. Not that I'm like a speed race or anything, but you got to slow drive slower over these plates or else you're gonna like fly into the air or something. But look, um, both candidates are very realistic about their plans. I will say, um, I, I would argue that Dickens, uh, the thing that folks folks are really like inside baseball, right? Uh, they will see like Dickens has from jump, uh, or at least he has presented uh, on his website, for instance, like several different issues he wants to address. Um, Whereas President Moore, like, I would argue she is the crime candidate, right? I mean, she has like nearly 3,000 words on her pay on her website about crime alone, whereas Dickens is like maybe like a little over a thousand on crime. But point being, I mean, they're both very realistic. They both want to make 
uh, Marta more mainstream for folks. They're not talking about some wild overhaul, like creating like uh, solar powered roads for nothing but electric vehicles in the next decade. Nothing that um, out, out, of, out of field. <laughs> no Jetsons. That's yeah, no Jetsons. Not yet. So, uh, you know, more again, more is great at administering the city. Um, and, and Dickens is just a really smart guy, right? He's an engineer. So you would hope that uh, he would be a little more detailed in his vision for um, uh, public transit in Atlanta. Dickens says a lot that he wants to do a lot of the small things, uh, you know, little groundbreakings every few months and then a, a ribbon cutting a few months later, kind of like, you know, for maybe one stretch of bike lanes or one corner, one intersection, that sort of thing. So um, I think like, like uh, Will said, kind of his uh, engineering side kind of coming through a little bit there. And JD, when we look back in four years, it could very well be infrastructure is is the 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 champion point, right? The the main point for any of these of these mayoral candidates because there's so many, there's so much money, there's so much the the, the flows, the spigots are opening on the infrastructure funding. So you could be looking back in 2025 and say, "Wow, I mean, the mayor whoever wins um, has already has been able to preside over all these monumental projects." Absolutely. It could be a huge, huge campaign boost for whichever candidate wins this race and presumably could run for re-election in four years. Um, and a lot of it does come down to the procurement department as well. I know this is getting a little bit in the weeds. I'm not sure how much our you know, listeners love hearing about the inner workings of City Hall procurement department, but for a road to get fixed, they have the city has to choose a company uh-huh. to fix that road and go through you know, the formal bidding process and everything. An issue with the city is that that's been taking months, if not years, for some of those projects to get through that process before they can even start on the groundbreaking. And, you know, both uh, mayoral candidates really want to overhaul the procurement department and, you know, make that work faster because that would get some of the infrastructure projects done faster. Um, They they often point back to corruption, you know, on that uh, topic as well, saying that the cloud of corruption that hangs over City Hall from the Reed administration is making fewer people want to bid. It's making them go through all of these extra processes to make sure that the process is safe uh, and, and ethical um, and, and legal. <laughs> and, and so that's where a lot of the issue stems from as well. So it's not just, uh, you know, if they want to do it, they'll, you know, check, check, check the boxes on the, the projects they want to do. They have to actually work to fix the procurement department as well. Apologies to all the listeners who... Uh, <laughs> don't care don't no, give understand what procurement details, is it's, man. it's yeah. very confusing to me as well but yeah uh, that, I mean, that's no a big one we the ajc didn't provide you all the nuances of the procurement process mm-hmm. but look in a way that gives us a segue to our next question because that the way that these two candidates would overhaul that process speaks to their leadership style that's another question we ask is how does your leadership style make you the best fit for mayor well my leadership style is one that first starts with being a servant leader uh, I started in the neighborhood, then a neighborhood planning unit chair, then I worked for a city council member, and then I ran for council, and now council president. And every step along the way, it's because I'm driven to serve. And I had to step up another rung on the ladder to be able to provide that service. And I want to bring that style of uh, servant leadership to the mayor's office. Yeah, my leadership style is visionary, uh, inclusive, decisive and entrepreneurial. Um, And I'm also uh, filled with integrity. So my leadership style is one that embraces everyone's opinions and asks them to come to the table. But I do finally make the last decision when it comes to being mayor. And so my style is entrepreneurial in that uh, sometimes I 
take the straight and narrow route, but other times I also make sure I look for opportunities um, to, to veer, to be able to add uh, more value and to, you know, be creative. Okay, JD, you are our Andre Dickens whisperer. I think what he's trying to say is that he can be very unpredictable <laughs> in the city hall. <laughs> he's made his leadership style a big focal point in this runoff specifically. Um, and I think, you know, for all the, the stuff we've talked about with the similarities between these two candidates, the leadership style is how a lot of them are choosing to differentiate themselves because a lot of voters, you know, will, will care a lot about that and see that as, as a main difference between the two of them. One thing that we see Dickens use a lot as an attack against Moore is this ability that he says to quote unquote get to yes, criticizing her for no votes in the past on things like city budgets and some, you know, the, the Beltline tax allocation district and, and a few other things, uh, you know, saying that she tisk tisks at things but doesn't actually get anything done. Uh, you know, whether or not that's true and it's probably a bit of an exaggeration, it's, it's the main crux of the argument that Dickens is using for why his leadership style is better. And he didn't mention it in that interview but he definitely will, will use it on the campaign trail. So this next question is what we like to call an editor question. We call this the Atlanta way question. And to boil it down, it is this. What would you do as Atlanta's next mayor to ensure that the corporate community is held accountable to provide opportunities to all corners of Atlanta? Well, you do that by setting the tone that everybody is going to benefit from this city and everyone's going to participate in this city. We do have generational poverty in pockets and areas in the city that have gone on for decades. And there has not been focused attention on how do we start to build those blocks so that people can start to break that cycle. That's why in my crime plan, when I talk about all of the activities that we want to do with children, I also focus on the parents. How do we get them into jobs that are above living wage? How do we get them into their first home so that the kids can see that their parent is a homeowner? That's how you break that cycle. And so I want to be focused in attention and for those who have the wealth, whether they be black or whether they be white corporate interests, they have got to participate because that makes our city stronger. I was uh, trained a lot in the Atlanta way, but what I believe is now we need an Atlanta way 2.0, one that's more inclusive. What we have to have is balanced economic growth. We have growth that's coming to the city. It's just not balanced geographically nor demographically. And so therefore, when I'm mayor, I want to make sure that we really apply ourselves to adding economic development without displacement on our corridors in the south side of our city. We deserve it. This has been going on long enough that where you have black political leadership, but you have the economics being driven by uh, everyone other than black in individuals. And so what we have to do now is demographically be able to have opportunity for prosperity across the board. This is why I created my technology career program that trains people for free on how to get high tech, high demand skills. And that leads to $60,000, $70,000 jobs. I've trained hundreds of people, about 500 people so far in the last three years, and now they are working and making great money in downtown, midtown, and Buckhead, even though they may live in Southwest Atlanta. Well, we've been talking about so many of these issues, crime and, and public safety and transportation and affordable housing, but this question goes to the heart of a more philosophical debate about how these two candidates would approach holistically being the mayor of the South's largest city. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, words are great, but action is going to speak louder, right? So whoever becomes mayor, I mean, they really have to sit down and say, well, hmm, 
Um, I understand the Atlanta way, but what about the way of Atlanta? Where, which directions should the city go to continue to be uh, the leader in, in Black culture in America? I mean, one, one of the reasons I moved to Atlanta uh, is just because it just reminded me of New Orleans in terms of diversity and just all the great uh, historical nature, the civil rights movement and what have you uh, in this part of the USA. Um, but at the end of the day, right, uh, nothing is perfect and we still have a ways to go to address several uh, social issues uh, in our community. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Andre is a young guy, relatively speaking. He's smart. I, I think he has some uh, great ideas as far as being a visionary for where Atlanta could go. Uh, I think I, I saw someone uh, mention in one of the uh, articles that our colleagues wrote, uh, a Bill Torpy column, they described uh, President Moore as uh, what Atlanta needs today, right? So um, for voters, the question is going to be, do I really want to think forward and move into the future? Or do we need to address what's happening right now with all the shootings and, and the, you know, buckhead cityhood? And, and so, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if Moore and Dickens would, would want to consider themselves a, a matter of like voting for the addressing the present or the future. But uh, some people are definitely looking at it in that manner. Now, J.D., you're like me. You grew up in Atlanta. Um, I was your cousin's camp counselors, as a matter of fact, <laughs> way back when. But, you know, we grew up hearing the, the you know, the, the benefits of the Atlanta way about how it, it was a way for the corporate community to band together with civic leaders and, and African-American leaders in, in the community and, and, and get beyond some of the problems that set back other, other southern cities. But there's also a dark side to it. And both these candidates seem to acknowledge that. Right. This has been kind of a theme of this, you know, race uh, so far where they've, they've kind of acknowledged some of the, the shortcomings of, uh, you know, Atlanta's past political leadership. Um, and, you know, despite it being a, you know, center for black power and black leadership, uh, it has, you know, left a lot of black communities behind, especially low income black communities. Um, and, and, you know, this discussion about equity, at, you know, has really taken off in the last four years. I mean, I would credit Mayor Bottoms a little bit with with making that a big part of her campaign uh, four years ago uh, in terms of just, just starting those conversations. Um, but from what you hear from what these candidates say and from talking to a lot of people on the ground, uh, that work is very far from, from being done. Um, and so I think I'm curious to kind of see whichever one of them takes office, kind of what actual action steps happen from, from this. Uh, you know, this is one of those issues that is very easy to talk about and talk about what's broken much harder to actually do something about and, and take deliberate action to resolve. So um, I'm very curious to see kind of what, what happens over the next, I guess, year, four years on this. Well, on that note, we get to our favorite part of the the, the, the questions. We've gotten policy and we've gotten philosophy. Now we have lightning round. And, you know, Atlanta voters want to know, what is your favorite place to eat in the city? Oh, I have a lot of favorite places, <clears throat> but I'm going to have to go for soul food. I'm going to go with Busy Bee. So many places. Uh, I, I like this place called Spice House. It's three locations. One is on Cascade, one is in Buckhead, and one is on 14th Street. Okay, I got to side with Andre there. <laughs> I've never been to Spice House. Oh, it's good. Ooh, I haven't been to either of them. I'm glad more mentioned soul food, though, because my, my uh, New Orleans bias is showing there. But yeah, <laughs> uh, interesting. I love, that they, I love that they both led with, there's so many. <laughs> so many, so many. Very diplomatic, right? So yeah. many good places. Yeah. I want all the also accurate, yeah. <laughs> uh, next question. What is your favorite song by an Atlanta artist? 
Oh, let's see. Atlanta artists. I would say uh, Miss Jackson by Outcast. I like Outcast. <laughs> Outcast. Uh, <laughs> Trying to think of just a quimini. So going back, kind of not, I mean, not exactly old school, but at least to my college days. <laughs> I mean, well, it, it is what it is, right? Shout out to Outkast. Mm -hmm. You already know Andre 3000 and Big Boy. I, I, I'm, if they were to say anybody else, <laughs> they would have been They could have said Killer Mike. I mean, they, yeah, they could have gone with Yeah, they've been outrageous. No disrespect, <laughs> Mike, but yeah. Oh yeah. You saying Andre 3000 is making me think like the Dickens campaign has missed an opportunity there with them sharing 100%. a name. They probably need to get that endorsement before they, you know, I use, mean, remember use that name anywhere. But the closing days of the last election, uh, Mayor Bottoms had all sorts of R&B hip hop stars endorsing her. And then when she, I think it was when she won. Yeah, it was when she won. There was a rap song called, I forgot it, Top Notch. Um, it was, uh, uh, Atlanta has a mayor named Keisha. You yeah. gotta go find wow. that. Wow, <laughs> that's so cool. And next question is a well, it's an interesting one. Favorite hobby? I like making fire pit uh, fires into my fire pit. Just chilling out. I know that sounds crazy, but <laughs> I, I just like to you know relax and chill because my days are so busy. My favorite hobby, I would say. Hmm. I haven't had hobby time a lot, <laughs> but I, I'm going to make it to go to plays. I love always to rack up going to different plays and going to different venues. So I would say that would be a nice, relaxing hobby. So an underwhelming answer from Andre saying he likes to make fire. I don't think that's underwhelming. <laughs> that's nice, that, Meg. It's chilly out here. Yeah, yeah that's not underwhelming. Okay, when you said okay. that, I was like, you know what? That's a great hobby. It's a great hobby make, being a pyro. <laughs> And I'm going to put more on the spot because, yeah, she was very like, oh, you know, I don't do much. But, man, I was hanging out with her. She's a I, I feel like she, she's a nightclub person. She, you know, she was she ended her night on Saturday yeah. hanging out at the uh, Club 10 in Midtown, talking to supporters and stuff like that. And when I left her, she's like, we ain't done yet. Well, and so, yeah, I, I think she's probably still got that uh, party bug in her. Um, mm -hmm. you know, her ritual, she likes to like go home and read the news and stuff like that and unwind. So yeah, man, she's, she's got some hobbies. She's mm -hmm. just playing a professional. She's just saying she's going to see Hamilton. Yeah. But, uh, no, I know she, she also, she also loves a uh, reality TV. She said that on some other podcasts, like all the Atlanta franchises. And, mm -hmm. and she said that as well. So. And, Honestly, yeah, same, so. and you were yeah. right about her nightclub. She said she she said this publicly many times that she she came to Atlanta for in part for the club scene, and she was a a big a, a big player in it earlier on in her long ago and decades ago. But she still seems to like it, which goes into the whole Atlanta nightclub Atlanta nightmare issue. Later yeah. On. Well, that is all the time we have for our epically long City Hall <laughs> special. Uh, thank you guys, JD and Will, for joining us for the last hour to talk about the mayor's race. I mean, cause next time we talk, it will be election day or around election day, uh, which is only ooh, about 10 days away. Um, so seven days away, seven. We are counting. I need that quickly. And my family Thanksgiving counts as four days uh, because it's that, it's that drawn out. Um, but in the meantime, uh, thank you for listening. Rate, review, follow, subscribe, and share the show. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And uh, follow our coverage. Um, we have final week of the City Hall race coverage. Extraordinary. Uh, all over AJC, I should say. 
Uh, and we will also have uh, a separate podcast about the Lucy McBath, Carolyn Bordeaux redistricting drama going off in the state house as we speak. Um, so thank you again, guys, for joining. And thank you, listeners, for listening to us. Bye, y'all. Bye. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.